This is the Shift Podcast. On the Shift Daily Podcast, we check in with Elijah Pitscalny, the uh, young man who rode his bike from Saskatoon to Vancouver. It's been a month since he finished his ride and his fundraiser. What's he been up to? And we find out some of the injuries he sustained during his bike ride are still a problem today. We don't ever find out about the things that happen after these fundraisers. So it's an interesting insight. Are you okay with parking lots? Are you okay with your doctor being on a Zoom call during surgery? Alan Cross joins us on the podcast as well. Spotify, hi-fi, and some record conversations. And in case you miss it with Ryan O'Donnell. It's all in the Shift Daily Podcast. This text message comes in from Derek. It says, please tell Elijah that he's the most amazing person for doing what he's doing and keep up the hard work no matter how down things get. Elijah Pinscalny started riding his bike from Saskatoon to Vancouver. He called it Cycle to Stop the Harm. He wanted to raise 20 grand. He raised well over 20 grand, like 25, uh, for different organizations to stop the harm. He's made all kinds of new friends along the journey. He has kept on pushing forward in that after he got to Vancouver. And uh, it's been a month since we chatted with Elijah. So we wanted to find out what's going on with Elijah. So, brother, uh, where are you now? I am currently in Victoria, standing outside the clinic because I have a very infected toe. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. Yeah, actually, you know what? So, Elijah, you, you, when we talked to you last, you know, you finished in Vancouver. You were going over to the island. It's been about a month now. You yeah. had mentioned online that, you know, you, you sort of found out after you settled down that, you know, frostbite and all these things have been a real issue. So you've, you've actually gone through a few things after the fact related to your big ride from Saskatoon and then since then too. What's been going on? Yeah, so uh, when I finished, I was feeling um, exhausted, yeah, but also pretty encouraged, uh, very hopeful. And I just thought, oh, okay, let's just go a bit, get a bit longer and go to the island and do some more outreach. So I've been able to spend some time meeting with the Island Health um, outreach groups out here, some of the teams for harm reduction and, and mental health outreach. So that's been really awesome. But at the same time, I've been, uh, my body has just been getting his butt kicked. Um, hypothermia is still so real in the four degree, five degree rain. Uh, of course we had some snow out here still when I got here and, uh, yeah, my toes are still destroyed from some frost nip frostbite and another one's really infected. So my body's, <laughs> it's, it's really asking me to, to just settle down and switch projects. So what's next then? Are you gonna are you gonna keep it up with your cycle to stop the harm? Because originally you were gonna toss the sign, you were done, but then all of a sudden you said, you know what? I'm just going to represent this wherever I go. So what changed, and where are you at now? Yeah, it just for me, I clicked that I was I was still gonna be cycling around, and I thought, well, you know, I may as well have the sign, and if anybody comes and talks to me, then that's at least one more person that I've reached out to. So. Um, that to me was always, every day was going to be a success. Um, now I'm at a point where I really shouldn't be cycling. Oh, actually for a while, my body shouldn't have been cycling. Um, but now I, I'm finally listening to my body. So the sign has finally, as of today, um, been thrown away. It's actually been obliterated by the weather. So that was also a good sign <laughs> to lay it to rest. Well, the good news is you can always build another sign, right? Yeah, it's true. It's so true. you're in Victoria now, and then what's next short-term, and then what are we going to look forward to long-term after you heal? Um, short-term, I'm going to head back up to Nanaimo, still cycling, of course, 
uh, sat down. Of course, because why would you while. stop? <laughs> why? Yeah, I mean, how else do you get around? You know, from A to B. So yeah, and then I'll set up camp. I uh, try to take care of my my toe a little bit. Um, just try to get off of my feet um, instead of riding in wet boots every single day. And long term, I'm not entirely sure. I'm daydreaming of uh, of uh, education. Uh, I've actually always been interested in education, but um, just trying to navigate how how else I can sort of get involved in issues like this. Hmm. What have you learned? What's your biggest takeaway here? Because I imagine when you started, I mean, this was a notion where you were wanting to get to the West Coast so you could have an impact while you did that. And this was a cause that was not really directly related to you. But now here you are in the face of it every day, you know, harm from opioids, harm from drugs and all sorts of different things. You know, how, what, what's the one thing I think that surprises you most? Uh, I think the biggest, I don't know, surprise. And I mean, to me, I, I was never involved. Like you said, I'd never been really involved in this community, um, whether on the harm side or the harm reduction side. So for me, it's just been very humbling to see how many people have been impacted, how many people are impacted in every corner of, of society. Um, but then very hopeful actually to see how much work is being done. Uh, it's been really amazing to see all the hardworking groups, the, uh, like Moms Up the Harm, um, and then here on Island Health, seeing a lot of teams and other, other harm reduction groups along the way. So I've just been, I feel so hopeful. I feel so excited to see all these people working so hard at this issue. Um, and it, everybody can keep them, each other encouraged and, and keep working hard at this. They're really, they're really fighting. It's, it's a really big upstream battle to be to be doing, doing these things against stigma they're trying to fight against this they're trying to fight against funding and all these other legal barriers and and hoops that they have to jump through just to help save people's lives and mental health well with all of that you've basically been living homeless for quite a long time has that opened your eyes at all um you know through this you've been winter camping you've been you know not inside has that mm-hmm. impacted your views at all have you run into any stigma there yeah, that has, of course. Um, I've, I've done a lot of these sorts of journeys, and I've always noticed the, the change in stigma or, or how people treat me um, just from looking like I'm on the road uh, living in a tent. But for me, I think the biggest one personally was just realizing that at the end of the day, I'll never, at least not right now, experience what other people are experiencing when it comes to homelessness. No matter how much I... I replicate it by, by living on the fringes and living in my tent and camping and, and only eating peanut butter and rice noodles. There's just, there's no parallel unless you're really there out of necessity or, or involuntarily. And to me, it was just, I had to sort of humbly accept that that's my life. And, and in fact, I, I am very grateful that I haven't uh, ever experienced that involuntarily. And instead to sort of take advantage of my privilege, my opportunity um, for the better to sort of reach out and and try to help people without having to live like this. Yeah, it's the power of choice, right? Um, I know that one of the things that you and I always connect with is sort of the existential part of it. And and for me, mm. I always find the um, the answer is always found in language, right? For me, I was I, I had this this moment years ago with my counselor. Her name is Patty. I call her my Patty. She. Um, <laughs> I'd said to her, I said, in life, I said, I wish there was just a map, right? Like, this would be a lot mm. easier if there was just a map we could follow. And she, she said, there is a map. And that's where I sort of learned meditation in the very beginning. And I found mm. that there is, there is this other map to this. 
And in this yeah. particular case, the, the the map and language is the it's amazing because language is the one thing we all share. Even mm -hmm. uh, deaf people, we all share language, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that it's the difference between um, choice and decisions. Mm -hmm. And decisions, you you need an antithesis to have a decision, right? Like you need the opposite. You need uh, this or that. You need mm -hmm. here or there um, in order to to have that. It's It's comparison because if I do this, yeah. then I, I can do that. But when you have choice, you don't really have um, need to have the opposite. You don't need to have that. The mm -hmm. power of choice is, you know, this is my situation. I want to create that situation. So you mm -hmm. you are living in a world where you have choice, and that is contrast. You can create contrast in your life. Yeah. Not everybody has that choice of contrast, and it's one of the things that I've I've observed from your journey here is, as a guy who you know chose to go on this journey you still have choice every day. And yeah, exactly. And a lot of the people that, that we're, we're talking about, you know, whether it's uh, fully employed people who are coping because we've did some amazing uh, conversations around that or people who are down and out and homeless. The, the decision is, is suffer or not suffer. Right. And so um, where does that land for you, Elijah, with the, the choice that you still have, the contrast that you can still create and yet, uh, it is about a topic where people feel like they don't have any choice at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, the choice, I I agree. That's, that's the thing is I do have the choice. And I think for me, when I had begun the journey, I knew that. And, I, and of course, I always know that. And I wanted to use that to reach out to the people who, um, in my case, like other people who don't maybe think about the, the war on drugs or drug policies or, or all these other issues, addictions, because they've just never seen it. And so to me, I thought, well, you know, if, if they could see me out there cycling, uh, choosing out of my own will to be suffering this much, um, and whether it's privileged or not, because I've done it voluntarily, it's still a choice to, to put myself through this. I wanted to reach this other demographic because there's plenty of people who already agree with what I'm, what I'm sort of promoting. And that's, that's, that's a good sign. But what I really wanted to do was reach the people who disagree with what I'm promoting or just don't think about it at all. So I think that that choice is still very powerful to see someone who doesn't need to be doing it. And then those can question, why would anybody put themselves through that? And, and to me, I, I, I think that's the whole point of the awareness, the attention to just show them that I personally care so much about this issue. And also because there's so many other people who are out there without the choice who are experiencing things like this and even worse. And so to just help shed light on that, to sort of give them a voice, because otherwise in so many communities, they're just pushed the shadows. I mean, tent cities are just pushed here and pushed there. People have to pack up every day. Um, recently in Nanaimo, a tent city was basically obliterated. So it's just things like that. Like people don't want to see it. And so I think that that is a sad use of choice to choose not to, to think about these issues. Yeah. Well, blind spot is a, uh... It can be a magical, naive place, but it also is drives our lives in so many ways when we have no idea. Mm -hmm. I know that this was a blind spot for me. I just didn't know, uh, not in a bad way. And it's okay if you don't know for anybody who's exactly. listening. That, that's Absolutely. okay. The question is, is that if you can get yourself in the conversation, do you, do you want to know? And yes, um, walk, a, walk a mile in someone's shoes. In your case, ride a bike in someone's shoes. <laughs> and uh, something I was thinking about when you just mentioned this this map, um, from your, from Patty. Uh, I, I do love that, that, uh, simile, is it a simile or metaphor? Analogy? That would be a metaphor. 
a metaphor. Or analogy but works too. To me, I think for me, I, I prefer considering mindfulness or meditation among other um, techniques more like tools, uh, a compass or, or some sort of uh, measuring tool to map one's own mind because really we are the only ones that can map our own mind and we do have to go through with that on our own. But there are, like you said, some very powerful tools, including community, that can help us do such a thing. Yeah, community is such a big word. We don't we don't mm-hmm. respect and honor the word community like it is. Well, mm-hmm. Elijah, I um, I want you to please rest, will you, brother? <laughs> we uh, <laughs> take care there. of those feet. Thanks. Yeah, sure. one one day at a time. Yeah, well, take care of those feet. Let us know what's going on. I know that all the shifteds here at the nighttime have been asking how you're doing. They've been asking where you've been and what you've been up to. So uh, <laughs> thank you for uh, getting us the update. And uh, take care of your toes. And uh, let us know when you land back in Nanaimo and you get a bit of a rest. And um, okay. maybe we'll splurge and get you some chunky peanut butter or something. Ah, no, wow. I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> all right, brother. Thanks. Great <laughs> to hear your so voice. Much, Shane. Yeah, take care. Elijah Pitscalny rode his bike all the way from Saskatoon to Vancouver, and now he's uh, riding around the island. So we often don't um, we often don't hear about that part of the story, right? Like, what's what's the injuries that come after the fact? Frostbite, frostnip, uh, as he described it, on his toes, infected toes uh, from that big bike ride, and still dealing with all that stuff a month later. And I think that gave us a little bit of insight into that man's brain. And the discipline of pushing through injuries, because there was times when he was going through the Rockies where he was like, well, my knee's telling me to stop, but I want to keep going. And that's a, that's a good insight to what goes on inside the brain of a person that can push through all of that for a cause they believe in. Uh, we'll keep Elijah uh, here, and I have passed on your text messages to the kind ones, uh, lending him a little bit of support. This is the kind of story that he stands up for, though. So Elijah you know, cycle to stop the harm. This is the kind of harm, a good example of it, a new story out of Toronto. Uh, Parents say a 14-month-old boy had been charged after he died due to ingesting a mix of fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine, Toronto police say. In what was described by police as the first-of-its-kind case, officers and investigators with the Child and Youth Advocacy Centre began probing the boy's death back in May. He was living in a Toronto apartment with his parents and another couple. Police say he consumed drugs that were in the apartment, but it's unclear how much the toddler ingested. But we do know that even small amounts of opioids can be lethal. The boy's parents have been charged with criminal negligence causing death and failing to provide the necessaries of life. The opioid use and the opioid crisis, this just adds to another layer uh, uh, of the intricate investigations that our experts have to deal with. And unfortunately, in this incident, uh, it was a very tragic one. And as I mentioned, this is more of an, an awareness piece uh, that we're, we're basically saying, you know, don't have drugs in the house or don't do drugs in the presence of children because, you know, if they are able to get to these drugs, uh, it could be fatal. And in this case, it was. Now, at this point, we don't know who the parents are. We don't know where this happened. Police aren't releasing any of those details to protect the young child's identity. The parents will, however, be back in court on April 6th. So cycle to stop the harm. That's the kind of harm that we don't think about. Often we think about some crackhead in an alley, don't we? We don't think about, you know, the people who go to their jobs every day that we learned from Garth, uh, the people that have their baby get in the way of fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine 
at 14 months old. So these are the kinds of things that Elijah has stood up for, and he will continue to, and we will continue to follow him. He's a disciplined, smart, caring person who literally put his body in harm's way uh, to fundraise and create awareness. And I will be forever grateful for the conversation he started here with me and the conversation that he started on the shift with all of us because we've learned so much from Elijah. This is the Shift Podcast. This is Blue Man, exclamation point. Guess what my favorite slush Slurpee is? Blue Raspberry, LOL. A great choice, though. Like, aside from the pun, great choice. Blue Man is not from the 204. He's from the 403, just to be clear. Vest Slurpee 7-Up with Lime for mix with vodka. Plain Dr. Pepper or Cherry Coke. All right. Nighthawk Steve says the best Slurpee is the one that doesn't give me a brain freeze. <laughs> no such thing. Mm, that's the hard part. Hey, you just get so excited and then you drink too much of it too fast. Hello, Shift Crew. Roy from Aurelia. Best Slurpee, nearly anything with rum. All right. That's true. Oh, I, here you go. I, in high school, I, I one of my main things was Malibu. The only time that I ever liked any kind of coconut product in my life uh, was, uh, yeah, Malibu in uh, Coke Slurpees. Yes. But I'm going to get you 40-proof vodka, coconut. I think you're going to like it. Mm. <laughs> it's the best on the ice. <laughs> okay. Um. Oh, my. Yes, root beer Slurpee with ice cream mixed in. That's another text that came in. Um, there are so many. Oh, my God. Forget about Slurpees. I'm all about the smoothies. What makes perfect sense to me, Trucker Dan says, about Manitoba and Canadians, a Slurpee will not melt in the winter, so it's the perfect time to drink them. Good point. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. All winter, I have a Slurpee every night when I drive truck. Not healthy, I know, but it's my only vice. Clint in Winnipeg. Hey, Clint. (laughs) Do you have all your... Thanks for the text. Do you have all your teeth? Yeah. That's got to be hard. Dentist, uh, yeah. (laughs) Somewhere here, somewhere there. Um, this is, comes from an expert. So I think this could be the, uh, punctuation end of conversation about Slurpees. Don't have a name. Sorry, but it is 204. Oh, Josh from Barry. No one said cream soda yet. That could be there. This is going to be the final word. Since I live in the Slurpee capital of the world, I had to chime in on Slurpees. I like to do the dew or something fruity. Mountain dew. Mountain dew Slurpee is really good. Yeah, it is good. Oh, you got to pair it with other stuff, though. But it's it is a versatile flavor. Can I skip the dishes of Slurpee at this time of day? Uh, you this probably can. While this was happening, I was looking at Google Maps to see where the nearest Seven Eleven is to me, so I can go tomorrow and get one. Because mm-hmm. this is going to be—I'm not going to sleep tonight because I'm just going to be thinking about Slurpees. Slurpee at a joint, good time from Brandizzle. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. White man, sorry, I was drinking my Slurpee, man. Just really enjoying the Slurpee. Yeah, man. Where's my Doritos? Um, Moondial time, Maddie. Let's get into it. Yeah, let me, uh, I think my, uh, I dropped the Moondial on the Slurpee. Hold on. Dropped the Moondial on the Slurpee. Ah! Brain freeze. (laughs) Oh, that hurt. (laughs) 
<laughs> what just happened? <laughs> he screamed from pain, but he's ready to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Brain freeze pain. Oh. I, know, I feel that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever yelled, though, when I get a brain freeze. It's more of a... <laughs> we all suffer through pain differently, right? Hmm. All right. Uh, let's uh, get into Are You Okay? Are you okay with parking lots? Yeah, because you can enjoy a really nice Slurpee there. Um, you know, parking lots are... <laughs> phrasing, I'm sorry. Um, parking lots are where the magic happens, you know? It's where you can go to you know, meet friends. It's where you can have a good mm-hmm. time, have, a, have right. a party. All on the level, of course, I'm talking about. Not like a lot lizard situation, although parking lots are probably the meetup place for that. Yeah. Well, there's... Um... There is the uh, there is that question, right? I mean, there's always the good tailgate. You can always have the good tailgate in the parking lot. And, outside a hockey rink, beer and, tastes better outside a hockey rink. Tell you, and you mm-hmm. can do some good donuts in a in a really nice wide parking lot. Uh, Clint says forty three, and yes, I still have all my teeth. Just to be clear, excellent. Yeah, okay. I I don't know. Yeah, I'm okay with parking lots. Community members of an East York neighborhood are up in arms in their parking lot. Field goal about the city of Toronto's plans to why are we up in arms anyway? Like, why are are we like, that's enough? It's like, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's a sign of I'm finished. This is outrageous. But yeah, I, I drop everything and exclaim. Okay. Thank you. A neighborhood of East York up in arms. Oh. About the city of Toronto's plans to replace a parking lot with 64 units of affordable housing for the region's homeless population. One resident called it the hub of the community. People who are very concerned about what we've just discovered. Until now, neighbors were in the dark when it came to the future of this East York parking lot. And I was quite surprised about that. Soon to be turned into 64 units of affordable housing for the city's homeless. The community depends on this site. Steve Bland has lived in the area near Woodbine Avenue and O'Connor Drive for 11 years. This parking lot is a hub. It's the heart of a community. And argues the parking lot services an elementary school, public swimming pool, baseball teams and hockey clubs for children. To increase the population density here with 64 units of people going through the most troubling, difficult times of their lives, this may not be the appropriate place to do it. The, the whole area is really just a children's uh, recreation and athletic hub of the whole of East York. And there's a lot of safety issues and concerns that we have. I, wait, okay. I don't live in this neighborhood. I don't know that it's a hub or not a hub. So fully acknowledge that. But, I mean, like, really the heartbeat of the neighborhood? Like, this is uh, the safety issues in a parking lot versus affordable housing? I don't know. It seems backwards to me. A little bit. I mean, I understand, like, a parking lot can be, you know, a central thing for, you know, like, literally from, like, a geographical point, like, in the center. So you think, oh, this is so important. But really, the parts of your neighborhood that are important are the place where your kids are going to do all these activities and stuff. It's not the parking lot. I think you just don't really want affordable housing in your neighborhood. That's the deeper issue here. And I understand that they're upset about having no consultation. That's kind of lame. But still, all in all, I mean, unless seriously, if you live in this neighborhood in Toronto and like this, this and this parking lot is the place to be, 
Like, let us know because I want to know what goes on in this parking lot. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I would say that this is. Uh. You know, I think that you you nail it there, Ryan, when you say that it's this has less to do with um a parking lot being the hub of activity versus being um about other things. But I mean, why wouldn't you? And affordable housing. <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to rewrite the song, right? They tore down the paved parking lot, put up some affordable housing. Oh, yeah, well, so uh, difficult. I'll write a letter to Joni Mitchell and see what we uh, what happens. Joni. Um, so not being consultants, a big thing. City replied to the complaints saying public engagement process will include collecting feedback on building and site design elements. They, which is very nicely put by the government saying, we're going to get your feedback on what this new thing looks like. We're not going to get your feedback on the fact that we're building it. Yeah. See, that's the government. Clever. Anyway. All right. Are you, oh, this is mind blowing. First of all, I, I don't like to, sort of create bias before we start an okay and are you okay or anything on the radio but i'm going to just flat out say this is the most mind-blowing are you okay in the history of are you okays it's big are you okay with plastic surgery um i'm okay with it if it's like if it helps you with like a like a health issue like if you need to get a nose job to help you breathe better but yeah. I'm a I'm Thank a big you. fan of letting, you know, people just age, hopefully gracefully. Not all of us will, but yeah. you know, uh, I, I, I'm a big yeah, fan absolutely. of just letting time happen and letting it write its years all over you. Yeah, yeah and sometimes you got to let it just ride the course. Laura and I have been watching this show called The Bling Empire, which is about absurdly rich people in L.A. It's uh, horrible television, and I love it. But they threw a party that was literally you could walk in and there were free Botox injections at the door if you wanted them. And it was kind of like, that's really that weird. Episode. Yeah. Like you could go and get like a butt for like just for attending this party. And that's where it loses me. But for people who these uh, procedures really help them. Uh, or if you just decide this is what you want for your body, hell yeah, go for it. But I mean, like abundant Botox injections, that's kind of where you lose me. Well, okay, as a guy, fully transparent, as a guy who needed some surgery for sinus stuff so I could breathe better, and the doctor said, would you like a little off the top? I said yes. Yeah. Can you straighten her out a little bit? So, I mean, okay, so I can't be a hypocrite in this, but I would I would agree that there is a beauty to growing old naturally, I think. People look a Absolutely. lot more beautiful and handsome in, uh, when you just let it all go. All right. Okay. Um, how am I going to do this here? I have an idea. Okay, so here's a text from Trucker Dan. Are you okay with plastic surgery being the most mind-blowing? Are you okay? You ask that question. Let's decide. The Medical Board of California will be investigating a plastic surgeon who appeared to be performing surgery during a zoom call but it is the kind of zoom call that goes from oh my god to oh my god hit it 
Plastic surgeon Dr. Scott Green was before a judge for allegedly speeding. As he is sworn in at a court in Sacramento, you can see what appears to be blood on his surgical gloves. You can also hear medical equipment beeping. The judge is perplexed. Unless I'm mistaken, I'm seeing a defendant that's in the middle of an operating room appearing to be actively engaged in providing services to a patient. Is that correct, Mr. Green? Yes, sir. The judge is reluctant to proceed out of concern for the patient. I have another surgeon right here who's doing the surgery with me, so I can stand here and allow them to do the surgery also. Not at all. I'm, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's appropriate. The judge decides to reschedule. I apologize, Your Honor, to the court. Sometimes yeah. surgery doesn't always go as... The court, as you know, as it happens. Go. We want to keep people healthy. We want to keep them alive. Especially alive. Uh, oh, my word. Did he say at the end of that, patient? there's another surgeon there who can, in case something goes wrong, there's yeah. an AFib here, like. <laughs> well, I think he took over. Like, here's my theory, right? Is the surgery was happening and he thought, okay, I'll have enough time to do this and then go to my hearing. But then something happened during the surgery and it's taking too long. And he says, well, I'm not going to not show up for court. So he gets his assistant to bring in his laptop. He's got blood-covered hands. It's just like, yes, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And he's got a bloody glove. And he's, it's insane. Oh. Okay. Put your hand on the scalpel. Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So in the video, it's a Zoom call you see on the, the, the different window frames of everybody and the doctor is literally standing you could see the lights behind him you could see sort of the patient operating room looking things in the background and you literally hear the beep 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 and he's masked up and everything else and he's in court this is how he does if you ever wanted to um look like the privileged rich doctor at your speeding uh ticket hearing bingo we have a winner that's it right there congratulations you're a winner Man. So, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, are you okay? So what do you think? <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, wow. It's, it's amazing that this, you know, we can do all these Zoom meetings and everything like that. But yeah, there's got to, I think we have to draw a line somewhere. And that's, that's the line that we just listened to right there. Uh, seeing that traffic court texter says the judge should have heard the facts of the case. The judge shouldn't lecture the lecture the doctor. I could not disagree more. I think the judge is smart by saying I'm not going to be a party to somebody dying and and have that. I think the judge, knowing the law, says they're not going to be contributing to that where they could get sued over that. So. Yeah, I didn't say it was the funniest. Are you OK ever? I didn't say it was the most serious. Are you OK ever? I said it was the most mind blowing. Are you okay ever? A surgeon attends court on a Zoom call while in surgery. I had to tell you, that's up there. <laughs> like, like if your schedule's that busy, you know, you have to sort of multitask. But if you're doing surgery, don't multitask. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. He's probably hoping the judge would drop all charges, Brandon says. That could be, actually, right? Look at me. I'm a yeah. doctor. I'm important. I'm too important for you, judge man. Wow. Yeah, it's like, watch what do I can do. Patient, <laughs> wow. 
do you think the patient got a free like woke up found out what happened and went yeah, yeah. i think these boobs are going to be free <laughs> <Let's>... <laughs> boobs <laughs> right can, like... you, can you imagine if they found like a pair of scissors you hear those stories about you know objects surgical objects that they find in people after surgery right and be like you left your scissors in my chest it's like where's my house keys oh er, oh they're in my body jingle jingle <laughs> jingle 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 how come i jingle when i walk now it's the shift podcast spotify is coming out with new super high tech hi-fi which is kind of ironic to talk about this i wanted to get the ideas of alan cross uh music all things music Let's put it that way. You know, Alan, I will admit to you that, um, you know, we've done a bunch of work over all the years, but every single time I say Alan Cross is going to be on the show, they're like, I love that guy, man. <laughs> it's the ongoing of rock and old music guy. That's yeah, close <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, how are you, Alan? Thanks for spending some time with us. Oh, we're okay. You know, Groundhog Day every day is uh, more or less the same, but uh, hanging in there. Have you noticed a big difference in the music uh, inventory through COVID? Uh, yeah, actually, it's uh, really, 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 it, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, Spotify had an event last week, and they said that they are now uploading or receiving uploads of 60,000 songs a day. So that's Whoa. basically one a second. Wow. And then you can extrapolate that out to how many per week, how many per month, how many per year. Yeah. Uh, the uh, pandemic has kept everybody inside. All the musicians have not been able to tour, not been able to do anything else. So they've been sitting at home writing music. And now I think what we're seeing is the beginning of a tsunami of new material that's going to come out over the next uh, nine months. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, I, I have pitches from publicists and labels and managers that come into my inbox. Last week, I had over 800 pitches. No way for new songs. So you can take that. You can take the uh, Spotify stat that I just cited. And, and there's just a lot of music that's going to have to come out. I mean, it's been a year since we've been all in lockdown and this music has building, been building up, building up, building up, building up, and it's just going to have to come out. And now it is. Yeah. And you know, isn't it interesting when you think of the song of the summer, you know how this time of year behind the scenes is sort of when, we would see the upstream song of the summer, right? You could see everyone starting to work at right. the timing, right? Because you kind of got a hit in April and May in order to get that, that sort of lead up to have the radio song of the summer. And this summer is like the most important of all the summers, it seems, because it feels like everybody's hoping to be able to get out and support things once again. Now, That's true. And I think what's going to happen is that when we finally reach some level of um, comfort with vaccines – uh, I, I used to think that there would be some reticence about people going to shows. Now I'm not so sure because again, pent up demand, we've been locked inside so long. And if we have a nice summer and if, you know, the government's follow through with, with having everybody vaccinated by let's say July, uh, you know, August, September, October could be extraordinarily busy. And again, all these acts that haven't been able to tour are going to be, want to be out on the road. So it could be a very, very busy fall, you know, variants notwithstanding uh more surges notwithstanding and so on yeah and it's interesting when you look at the different genres too because you have you know pop music is still selling pop and then you you know the rock acts make an awful lot of money on the road versus just sort of radio play money 
And then the dance artists uh, have not been doing a whole lot. But then you got hip hop, which there's often not a lot of live support for. So they're cranking out studio songs all the time. So isn't it interesting from genre to genre how everybody deals with it just a little bit differently? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch. Now, some statistics came out today and the U.S. industry, uh, recorded music industry, grew by over 9% in 2020. A lot of that came through streaming um, because that was the only way that people access music these days. So the industry is is strangely fine, but the artists themselves, for the most part, uh, are, are still suffering. Yeah, and the the support artists like the studio, the studio performers, and then the 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 live bands, the touring touring folks. That's a that's a kicker. Well, uh, the whole point of inviting you on here was to talk about hi fi uh, in a world of digital, which is kind of funny. I think um, Spotify has released this new upgrade platform of higher quality streaming. Now, I don't know. It seems to me to be dynamite marketing, but not a whole lot more than that. Where does it land for you? Well, what we're talking about is high-resolution audio, which means audio that sounds better than traditional Spotify streams, which, if you really want to get technical, is at either 256 kilobytes per second, if you're looking at or listening to the music through a website, or 320 kilobytes per second, if you're listening through the app. Now, that's not CD quality. Uh, it is good enough for most people. But then there are others like me who want to hear full frequency audio recordings of music. Um, Deezer, the Paris-based streaming music pro, uh, platform, and Tidal, the one that's owned by Jay-Z, both have these high-resolution streaming platforms. They're a premium-premium tier. You pay extra for it. But the music is actually better than CD quality. A lot of these songs are encoded in what's called lossless codecs, which means there is no compression on the music file. And as a result, every single bit of music that was committed to tape or to hard drive when the music was recorded is there. Nothing has been removed by an algorithm. And in some cases, these FLAC files are at what we call higher bit rates, which means that uh, or higher sampling rates, which means that they actually contain more musical information, up to twice as much or even more if, uh, than, uh, than than regular CDs. So they're better sounding than than CDs. Now I've been listening to some high resolution audio uh, through a, a stereo system that I have, and it's fantastic. I mean, it really, really is good. There's more bass. There's more uh, subtleties, more nuances, more more things that you catch. Um, and it's, it's hoping, the industry is hoping that people will give up their good enough or what they consider to be good enough MP3s and their crappy earbuds and their cheap computer speakers and upgrade to this and get a full frequency music listening experience. Isn't that the catch, though? It's always the weakest link in the chain, which in most cases, uh, you know, even old Bluetooth, the frequencies that old Bluetooth has changed over the over the years in the quality that your Bluetooth is if you have Bluetooth speakers. So yeah, it's certainly better than they than it was. Yeah, well, yes. you know, with people people are using Bluetooth speaker, speakers. There's just one speaker, so they're listening to the music in mono. Mono, yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 frightening. You know, when you if you grew up at a certain time, you know, the '70s and the '80s, you spent an awful lot of money on your home stereo equipment and the equipment for your car. You wanted the loudest, clearest, most accurate sound reproduction that you could possibly get. And that's what we did. I mean, I can't tell you how much money I spent on on, on my stereo systems over the years. 
But then we get into the late 90s with the convenience of MP3s and file sharing and then into iTunes in the early 2000s. And the actual sonic quality of the files of the music dropped. So if you listen to something on MP3 in, from 2005, let's say, it is noticeably and dramatically inferior to playing the vinyl that came out in 1986, the same song. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's, that's a problem. I mean, convenience has trumped quality, but maybe the industry can push people back into the direction of, of proper, proper audio quality. Now, that's going to be a big, big uh, push because in many cases you need to upgrade your headphones or upgrade your speakers or uh, upgrade whatever it is that you're, you're listening on. And a lot of people don't understand what high fidelity is really all about. They've, they've only grown up listening to music on cheap earbuds, and they don't realize that there's a, a greater experience to be, to be had. But the you know, question is, are they going to pay for it? And are they going to you know, go along with it? The irony for me about hi-fi is that it's so directly correlated to those old stereos, which for the most part leads back to vinyl. Mm. Vinyl has become sort of the benchmark of comparison still all these years later about the quality warmth of amazing, amazing sound. Now, again, you had all kinds of weak links in that chain, whether it was uh, belt drive turntables or magneto drives and cheap needles and speakers and wires and all kinds of different things that stepped into that. So where, yeah. where, where does vinyl land with you in the mix of all of this and the hi-fi digital? Well, I, I, I'm a big fan of properly recorded or properly pressed vinyl. So I have lots and lots of records on 180 gram vinyl, which, um, you know, I think is, is usually it's amazing sounding and it is an analog signal rather than a, a stepped um, sampled signal. Let's not get into that that <laughs> distinction there, but it, it tends to be smoother sounding and, and, and just more natural sounding. What we're sort of at, a, I think we're at sort of a crossroads. This would be 1968, 1969, when everybody was starting to move away from mono recordings to stereo ones. Now, stereo records were first invented, first released to the public in 1959. And uh, it took about 10 years for them to completely eradicate mono recordings. And the problem with modern recordings of making the switch is that you needed new equipment. Even if you had a small portable turntable, you may have had to change the stylus, the needle on your little turntable. Uh, but eventually this, this thirst for full frequency recordings overcame that and mono had all but disappeared by the end of the 1960s. Um, we could be in, on the verge of something very similar where this, this, this crappy, compressed music that we've been getting uh, will eventually be eased out by the advent of these high-resolution audio files. Now, a couple of things are going to have to happen. First of all, iTunes, which still a lot of people still use, has no way of, of playing uh, these, these lossless files. They just don't do it. Secondly, uh, that, that Trans, that, that's the same with, with, with maybe your, your mobile phone. Can you play lossless files on your phone? Maybe, maybe not, depending on what you've got. But, so we need to move people away from their cheap mono turntables with their tiny style, their you know, wrong styluses to uh, better equipment with a proper stereo stylus and one that is capable of, of reproducing all these frequencies. And the files are, are bigger, but that's not so much of a problem anymore because... We, uh, if you're streaming, it doesn't matter how big your, your local storage is, really. Uh, and if you're um, 
even using a, a computer or, or even a, you know, an iPhone or an iPad, you can get you know, like a huge solid state hard drive with that, which will allow you to carry a lot of music around with you. Yeah. So um, isn't it interesting to uh, think of that perspective because you, you kind of step into this sort of source thing, right? Like, is it possible? And maybe I'm just being a pessimist here. Uh, I guess a good, a good data provider is probably streaming to you an MP3 to save on your bandwidth on your phone. So you don't use up all your data, but not all those source files will be wave files and, and all these, you know, higher quality um, lossless files that, that we see, right? So is it possible we're just getting, we're paying more for a higher quality representation of the same crap from a few years ago? It's, that's a good question. It's very possible and it's hard to tell. Um, you know, everybody's uses a different, what's called codec. Uh, Apple, for example, is AAC. And they say that they've augmented their AAC files to make it sound as good as CDs, but I don't believe that. Um, and then there are, are other people that stream in MP3 formats. And then there's a few others that do it in, you know, a few uh, different codecs. But the one that we really want to look for is FLAC, F-L-A-C, which is a lossless audio compression algorithm. And um, I would rather have an excellent representation of a crappy 45 from 1963 than an even crappier representation of a 45 from 1963 that's been encoded in MP3. Hmm. Fair enough. I get that. Okay, so when we look at all of this, it's exciting. Is it the death knell for some other quality services like uh, FM can never get that quality? I mean, hey, here we are in AM radio, still kicking it old school. Um, but there's some nostalgia and romance to that. And then you've got, you know, Sirius XM's products that are that are coming over of the antenna to the car, all these different pieces of the puzzle. I mean, th this could be the, the quality nail that really pushes it forward. Yeah, it could be. Uh, now, we in North America could have jumped on a higher quality audio format with digital audio broadcasting, DAB, which is big in, in Europe and Australia and other parts of the world. Uh, DAB stands for digital audio broadcasting. We were one of the first adopters in the early 2000s. But the United States decided that they didn't want any part of this. Instead, they went with something called HD radio, which, you know, it's a brand name. It's not necessarily high definition radio, but it does sound better. Um, and while Norway and, the, and Switzerland and a few other countries are in the active process of switching off their FM transmitters in favor of digital audio broadcasting, which is better in terms of audio quality and some of the flexibilities of the signal, uh, we have, you know, we're left behind. We, we have no option after FM, which is our, our um, number one, our, our, our best sounding audio over the air. Uh, HD radio is in Canada, but nobody cares. No. Uh, it's, it's pretty much dead. So what we're going to have to wait for, I think, here in North America is 5G and the kind of audio quality that may be delivered uh, through Internet protocols rather than with an over the air FM or AM transmitter. Yeah. Well, I guess there's still a future. And what can I say? We like to crank out a little uh, ACDC and all those amazing bands on AM radio here on the shift. So why not? Right. You bet. Alan Cross. Thank you very much, brother. Great to see you. You bet. Thanks. It's the Shift Podcast. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Battle Dude. The Donald. 
<laughs> Ding. I really like that one. Me too. It really suits me, doesn't it? That I like do. raises the standard, really. Really? Okay. Well, we're always up for our new intros here on In Case You Missed It. And we're also always ready for some cringe. I love cringy things. Now, speaking of cringe, Matt, I put the clips in backwards, so make sure you play the 58-second clip first, because that's the intro for our wonderful Tweet of the Day. It's the Tweet of the Day. A clip of the Great One resurfaced on Twitter. And man, oh man, I bet Gretzky wishes it stayed in the basement of the internet. It was dug up by the account Super 70 Sports. It's not the first time this has been revealed. This has been around for a very long time. But it is really, really cringy and funny, and I just wanted to share it. So, it is a clip from when Wayne Gretzky guest starred on The Young and the Restless. Bet you didn't know that. No. Yeah. That's so. That's Charles Adler's favorite soap, by the way. It's a great soap. And I wonder if he's seen this episode because it is a very memorable performance for all the wrong reasons. This is one of the creepiest scenes in television history. I don't know what. Creepy. What, it's creepy. You're going to believe me, okay? And it's okay. just a really weird vibe. And I'm. Okay, you just need to hear it. Here it goes. Good luck. And this is uh, Wayne, out of our Edmonton operation. Sure could use some of your class around home. Mickey? <laughs> Thank you. Um, are you just visiting, mister? Call me Wayne. Everybody does. Wayne. Well, I, I'm glad you could join us. Just wish I could go along on your honeymoon, too. Oh, come on. What all the girls you got? Don't make me laugh. <laughs> Trade all of mine for yours. So, uh, do you work for the same people as Tony? Yeah, I hope I do my job as well as you do yours. Wayne, help yourself to some champagne, man. Yeah, I'll be back. Wow. Please don't, please don't oh. come back, Wayne Gretzky. Please don't I'll stick give you to that. hockey. Creepy it is. Yeah, I, the, I bet, uh, what... The girls, with all the girls you get, yeah, but not just one yours. Like, oh my word. Also, the mullet that he has in this scene is unbelievable. Gordy Howe actually has res responded to this years ago. He knows this exists. And he said, in a, yeah, Wayne and I saw it. That was bad. No two ways about it. What you've got here is a waste of good electricity. I'm not talking about the the electricity between the actors. I'm talking about the current to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Corey Howe could hit on the ice and hit on hit Ooh, on uh, hit a quote. I love it. Savage, right in the man, oh man, right in the floorboards there. Yeah, like it's it's well, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we're all good at something, and we're all terrible at something else. Yeah. And as far as being an actor goes, Wayne Gretzky is a great hockey player. I would say there are very few good actors in hockey. Like every hockey player commercial is, come on down to blah, 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 RV. They've got the greatest things. You can trust me 100% guarantee. And then they do the awkward <laughs> smile. They have no idea what they're doing. It's every single one. Sean Monahan's, uh has a has a commercial, and it is 
it is painful and it's fantastic. I highly recommend you look it up. I love it. Like the reads are always really flat and yep. it's just like well, there's, there's a reason why he has the boring Sean Monahan uh, Twitter account out there because <laughs> they're so boring. Yeah, it's so boring, but it's fun to watch. So there you go. Thank you, Twitter, for <laughs> showing me a clip of Wayne Gretzky and Young and the Restless. Wow. Very weird. Wow. Um, now, some cool news. Man, this one got me. This one took me by surprise because a movie I've been hoping to get a sequel for a very long time is getting a very surprise sequel. It's coming from director and writer Neil Bloomkamp, and uh, he's working on a sequel, a sequel sorry, to a very beloved film. They don't belong here. They're spending so much money to keep them here when they could be spending it on other things. At least they're keeping them separate from us. A lot of bad things started to happen. They must just go. I don't know where they go. They must just go. We're at the breaking point. People are living in fear. We are getting a sequel to District 9. Oh, yes, please. Nice. This movie is going to obviously be called District 10. (laughs) Uh, Genius. So, Bloomcamp announced the movie on Twitter. Uh, with his collaborators. Uh, Charlotte Copley, who is the lead in the first film, is also in On the Plans. Uh, now, if you haven't seen District 9, I highly recommend you do, and also watch the trailer. This movie was made on a tiny $30 million budget for a sci-fi movie, and it made over $200 million. It was in a huge success, and part of the reason why is the marketing. So that trailer there that you just heard, was people giving like documentary style clips of talking about something they don't want near. And because it takes place in South Africa, uh, you watch it and you think, oh, it's about apartheid and, you know, racism. And then the camera just pans up and there's a giant spaceship over Cape Town. And the idea is that this movie tackles apartheid and racism through telling it through the lens of aliens that get stranded over South Africa. And it's brilliant. It is so well done. The visuals are fantastic. The acting is amazing. The themes are great. I cannot wait to see what they do for a sequel. And with probably an enormous budget, this movie is going to be all out. And I cannot wait to see it happen. Peter Jackson produced the first one. You know, the guy behind, you know, a little old movie called Lord of the Rings. So I'm not sure if he will be on this one. But uh, man, oh, man. That is a film I'm very excited to see what they come up with. Yeah. I mean, it would have been awkward to say District 9-2. Yep. And District yeah, dis- 9 and a half. District 9 squared. Ooh, 9 squared. <laughs> or just like 10, not even District. Lack of District 10. Yeah. It's a good one. Good it's one. creative naming, though, really. A lot of thought. Yeah. But I mean, hey, if it works. And then think of endless sequels. 11, 12, 13, 14. Probably only going to get 10, but I'm all for it. Now, you uh, may have heard this clip if you're listening on CKNW just during the news, but I've got some sad news for fellow nerds, but it's not all bad. Comic-Con is going virtual again for 2021 out of San Diego. Hello, Hall 
No big crowds gathering this summer to hear the latest from the stars of their favorite geeky movies, TV shows, and other projects. San Diego Comic-Con, the massive pop culture festival held every summer, will go virtual again. Organizers announcing that, like last year, this year's event will be an online experience. Because of the pandemic and because of limited financial resources, it'll be cut from four days to three. But Comic-Con International says it'll try for a small in-person three-day event in November. Not a whole lot of details on that yet. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. So this isn't all bad. You're still going to get cool news, but the problem is you're not going to have the in-person experience. Now, if you don't go to Comic-Con in San Diego, why would you care? Well, it's because you can watch videos of people reacting to the news, and it is some of the most exciting kind of content ever. So the basic, you know, you're let's say you're a big Star Wars fan and you watch an audience react to seeing the first trailer for a new Star Wars movie. You feel like you're a part of it. That's how I feel as a giant, absolute disgusting nerd. And in honor of Comic-Con, I'm really happy that they're still going ahead and doing a virtual thing. I would like to share with you my favorite Comic-Con moment of all time. It happened back in 2016 when Zack Snyder revealed that he was making Batman versus Superman. So the clip you're about to hear the audience has absolutely no idea that this movie is happening. All they have been told is that they're going to hear a passage from something to give them a tease of what's to come from Zack Snyder's next DC product. Now, I know this movie ended up kind of turning out really bad. Um, it's not great. However, ignore that and just listen to this crowd the second they realize what's going on. So the actor will be reading a line from a famous Batman comic before the Batman and Superman sigil shows up on screen, you can hear the moment, and it's frankly beautiful. I want you to remember, Clark, in all the years to come, in all your most private moments, I want you to remember my hand at your throat. I want you to remember the one man who beat you. being a nerd i I have to confess i don't get it how do you not get it you're a batman let's say you like batman and then you find out they're making a batman versus superman movie and Mm -hmm. you just hear that crowd reacting like that's the Mm -hmm. special thing for me oh i get you kind of getting caught up in it right yeah i just i just don't get like getting that excited for a movie Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. And we probably shouldn't, because every time this happens, we just get disappointed. But it's still fun. (laughs) You know, like Christmas Vacation. Yeah. I can't imagine screaming over my favorite movie. I don't know. Clark Griswold is going to be Batman. Doesn't see. Don't get it. It's fair. There's just a lot of amazing moments you can't get online like that. And that's the only thing you're going to be missing out on. So hopefully in a few years, we'll get some more moments like that. Now I do... Appreciate ahead, the fanaticism. No. Yes, that's me, uh, an absolute fanatic. I can't be stopped. Now, I have to share this because this is just fantastic. Did you guys know that Snoop Dogg streams like playing video games? Does not uh, surprise me. Yeah, nope. I mean, he does. And he had an interesting time playing Madden on Twitch over the weekend. After about 15 minutes on air, he rage quit. 
he rage quit hard. Game was not going the way he liked, and he lost his bind. He was so angry, he walked away from the stream and forgot to turn it off. The stream was on and literally was just showing his blank room for seven hours and 37 minutes. You could hear stuff going on in the background of like music. And then eventually Snoop Dogg came in in a sparkle hoodie and switched off the stream before walking away. It is so funny. And let me just ask you a question. Would you like to hear what it's like to sound, what it sounds like when Snoop Dogg rage quits at a video game? I want to hear two things. I wish I could hear just Snoop Dogg's house in general when yep. nobody knows. And I want to hear Rage Quit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Rage Quit's amazing. And let's just say it took me a very long time to bleep out everything you're about to hear. Look at this shit. this came in this room and everything went fing bad. We've all been there, Snoop. We've all been there. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.